In the first of a three-part series, Clem Sunter, a well-known commentator in South Africa, discusses educational reform and why he thinks the probability of South Africa descending into a failed state have increased. Thank you for listening to this podcast hosted by the Cambridge MBA. Today, we're delighted to have Clem Sunter, a prominent figure in South Africa, to talk about issues such as education, the economy, and South Africa's image. Also with me today in Cambridge are Graham Schwickard and Giles Ritten, two current MBA students from South Africa. First, Clem, thank you very much for joining us uh, from South Africa. Can you just tell us a bit about uh, you, yourself and introduce a bit about what the work that you're doing in South Africa right now? Yeah, well, I, I had a, a career in mining in Anglo-American. In fact, I'm still a director on their South African board. But apart from that, in the early 80s, they made me head of a discipline called Scenario Planning. And we were very lucky to get the leader of the Shell team, Pierre Wack, as a consultant uh, from about 82 to 92. And during that period, we actually produced political scenarios for South Africa, the high road of negotiation leading to a political settlement and the low road of confrontation leading to a civil war in a wasteland. And it actually showed the power of scenario planning because we would never have forecast that the ANC would get together with the National Party as they did. We actually uh, anticipated it would happen in the late 90s. It actually happened uh, in, the, in, the, in the late 80s. But um, it showed that you can capture a possibility. And yes, um, since I retired uh, from full-time employment in Anglo in 2002, I've actually uh, run a small consultancy with a young woman with whom I've read, uh, written three books on scenario planning. And we call, we, call, we call it the mind of a fox because there is that um, um, famous saying, the hedgehog knows one big thing, the fox knows many little things. And rather than emphasizing that every company should have a vision, we emphasize that every company must have the ability to scan the environment like a fox and then adapt their strategies as they go along. And that is the work that I do. Thanks very much. And uh, I think Giles and Graham will agree with me that uh, in Cambridge on the MBA program, we're trying to breed foxes or (laughs) at least attract and breed them. Um, But Giles, why don't you start us off? Uh, I know you have a particular interest in education in South Africa. Could you tell us a bit about your interest and what's your question for Clem? Sure. So my wife is a qualified teacher and I've seen a little bit of the inner workings of the education system in South Africa. And I've been pretty disappointed by the the news that comes out on a, an annual basis as to the quality of our matric graduates, uh, South Africa's ranking in science and mathematics you know, against other international countries. And I think it's a real problem for the long-term prospects of South Africa, given that an education is probably one of the most important things that we can give people that are coming into the workplace. Um, so it's just been an interest of mine to read about uh, new adaptions and kind of education models like uh, low-cost private schools, uh, also to read about online applications or technologies or repositories of knowledge like the Khan Academy or companies like Newton, which are using big data to kind of build predictive models around education and tailor education to individual students. So one of the questions I had for, for you, Clem, was just around something I read in your article on 21st century megatrends. Um, And I I thought it was really interesting, your view, that education is very much out of sync with the job market today and the the changing nature of work. 
So I was wondering what your thoughts are uh, as to how South Africa needs to change its education system and possibly if you have any examples of countries or companies that are kind of getting it right in the 21st century. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, there's two issues. One is just a general improvement in education in South Africa. I mean, we have 28,000 schools in this country, of which 5,000 are reasonable to excellent and measure up to any school anywhere else in the world. And we have 23,000 dysfunctional schools. Um, and the question is, how do we use the model of the 5,000 schools to raise the performance of the uh, 23,000 schools? What we mustn't do is actually dumb uh, the 5,000 pockets of excellence that we have uh, down, because that, from a long-term uh, point of view of competitiveness of, of, of South Africa as a nation, would be an extremely uh, red uh, flag. So, you know, that issue... <clears throat> is about making teachers more accountable for, um, you know, for, for, for delivery in the classroom, ensuring that they have the right qualifications, particularly in maths and science, but most of all, ensuring that the principal of the school um, is, is, is a real champion of that school. I was head of the Anglo Chairman's Fund for 12 years, and we gave a lot of money to schools. And what I can consider the... The, the most important thing uh, was the an interview with the principal um, because you could tell within a minute whether it was worth giving money to that school or not because, yeah, a, a good principal, uh, even with bad facilities, can, can improve a school. But a bad principal um, is, is just shocking. So I, I'm calling for a principal's academy in South Africa where every principal has to go through this academy and then is put on a five-year contract and then is measured on the performance at, at, at all the schools. So I think that would go a long way to solving the problem of dysfunctionality in the, uh, in, in, in the bad schools. On the subject of inappropriateness of education, I've made the point that back in the 50s and 60s when I was educated, you know, the, the world was a different place. I mean, the, the civil services were expanding, big businesses were expanding. All you had to do was get a good matric in South Africa or A-levels in the UK, get a decent university degree, then, you know, push your, your qualifications around to a set of large companies, and you, with all probability, you, you get a job. Now, <clears throat> the situation is totally different. Most big businesses have downsized their permanent workforce, uh, they only do core, uh, core work, and all the non-core work is done is subcontracted by to smaller companies. So the the permanent workforce of most big companies around the world has actually uh, declined. Um, in in my case, when I was on the board of Anglo American as as an executive in the early 90s, we had over 400,000 employees in South Africa. The figure today is under 100,000. So. You know, there's no way that Anglo is ever going to go back to, you know, 400,000 people in South Africa. But I'm sure there are examples in the UK and America where companies have downsized. So that's, that's not going to be an area of employment. Governments are under pressure because of their national debt problems to cut back on the civil service and public expenditure. And so the only area really open for young people coming out of uh, school and university is small business. But does any school anywhere in the world actually teach entrepreneurial skills? The answer is no. They're still stuck in the groove that if you give a decent academic education 
and 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 give the pupil a shot at getting a decent degree, they will automatically get a job. And that proposition is no longer valid. And I just want to see schools actually, you know, um, maybe in the not the last year of, of, of education when obviously exam results were important, but maybe the year before, teaching kids about how to market themselves, how to run small businesses, even actually having real-life simulation models where they open small businesses. And, yeah, you know, that's what I think should be an essential part of the curriculum because you're supposed to prepare kids for the job market of today, not for the job market of 50 years ago. Yeah, um, I agree with you, Clement Scram here. Um, I also have a particular interest in education and um I guess maybe later I might ask you what you think of the principle of South Africa. But <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um, what I first wanted to ask you was, you know, uh, you wrote last year about the probability of South Africa becoming a failed state around 25%. Yeah. Um, and in one of your more recent articles, you spoke about a lot of red flags going up on local issues. Yeah. So just wondering if you think that this possibility has, of it becoming a failed state has begun to increase? Yeah. Okay. I mean... The, the the whole point of our model is to to have a decent conversation around what we say. So please don't accept that the the flags that we produce for our scenarios are you know incontrovertibly valid or indeed our probabilities. And and there are people who will disagree with us, which is as far as our, as we're concerned is fine. But what we do say is that if you agree with our probabilities. And, and the impact and the probability of a particular scenario has risen, then you have to examine your options in relation to chasing the opportunities and countering the threats of that particular scenario. Now, we have three scenarios for South Africa at the moment. We call it Premier League, where we stay in the, the top league of nations with the 32nd largest economy in the world. We get our act together. We achieve a level of uh, confidence amongst foreign investors, and South Africa manages to stay as the premier economy in Africa. That's our positive scenario for South Africa. The, the intermediate scenario is where we simply don't get our act together, but we, we, we don't have violence. We just sink peacefully into the second division where we join the bulk of the third world and where Nigeria becomes the prime, uh, premier economy of Africa and we basically get forgotten. And for government, it's a disaster because they won't have the tax revenue that they had in the Premier League to do all the things they want to. And secondly, they won't have access to international capital. Just when Eskom needs uh, electrical uh, distributor, state distributor, needs another 500 billion rand for the new generation of power stations. And if you believe the figure, we need 750 billion rand to sustain our water supplies. The third scenario is where the flag of violence goes up and we move into a scenario called failed state where we join the likes of Afghanistan, Somalia, uh, Syria, where essentially people simply uh, write you off because you're too violent and you're too unpredictable. Now, obviously the violence level in South Africa is nothing like it is in Syria at the moment. So for a long time we gave a zero probability to a failed state. But there are two flags, red flags, which have gone up, which have made us increase the probability uh, from zero. The first is uh, the secrecy bill, which was tabled last year, 
uh, in Parliament, which we feel is a is very negative because it would it would muzzle the press here and could possibly lead to a huge outbreak of corruption because journalists would be intimidated to report on what was possibly defined as as as, as a secret matter. Um, I think the matter, this whole bill, is when it's enacted, will go to the Constitutional Court. Uh, but we did jump the probability on failed state to 10% as a result uh, of, the, of, of the introduction of, of the secrecy bill. The second uh, major flag is around two conversations which I had with Western embassies in Pretoria in late 2011 and early 2012 when I asked them both, did you foresee the Arab Spring? And they both said no. So I said, what were the flags you missed? And they said abnormally high youth unemployment in all the countries affected by the Arab Spring, combined with um, active social networks, combined with growing alienation towards authority in the state. We have all three in South Africa, so we're one random event away from our own version of an Arab Spring. And when people say to me, ah, we're a democracy and all those Arab countries were dictatorships, I just say most young people, if they're unemployed with zero prospects, they don't think of which political system they live under. They, they, they just get incredibly angry. And, and, and in retrospect, we think Marikana, which is the terrible tragedy when those striking miners got killed uh, up near Rustenburg uh, last year, was pro possibly the random event, which has led to a serious degree of anarchy in South Africa around Rustenburg, uh, in terms of striking mine workers in the Western Cape, where uh, we've, um, we've, we've, we've had a terrible unrest amongst the farm workers. And the third uh, thing is that we've had our flagship project, which is in fact the largest project in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, there's no projects in South America or Australia or anywhere larger than Madupi, which is our big power station we're building. It's been idle since uh, January the 16th because of the uh, fact that the workers aren't listening to the unions. So we have now jumped the probability on a failed state to 25%. And what we're saying to people here is it's moved from a wild card scenario to a significant possibility. And therefore, you have to examine your options. And there are essentially two options. Look after yourself. Keep your passport up to date. Um, invest in other countries if you're a business in South Africa so that you, you reduce your risk on betting on South Africa. And the second option is to collectively work to keep to the, red, the red flags down. And obviously what we, we, we encourage South Africans to do is to follow the second option of getting involved in keeping the red flags down, reducing youth unemployment, uh, ensuring that small business has a, has a fair chance of, of becoming uh, much, a much more prominent actor in South Africa. Um, yeah, and, and the one option, which is now no longer an option, is do nothing. <laughs> that was the first in a three-part series with Clem Sunter. In part two, we discuss how South Africa could go beyond the Premier League scenario of development and South Africa's place in Africa's economy.